Welcome to the Skyline Church Podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. topic this week is the uh, spiritual gift of mercy. <laughs> and so if you've got your Bible, uh, either grab the one in front of you or on your phone or whatever, open to Romans 12, verse 3. And we're just going to jump in. It says this, verse 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same functions, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who uh, does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Mercy uh, is a spiritual gift. Now again, Romans is interesting because there's things about this list in Romans that all Christians are called to do, and yet Paul seems to differentiate, you know, the supernatural action of the Holy Spirit through people in acts of mercy and just acts of mercy that are obedience, that we're like, I know this is right, you know, or we go even to, um, you know, Paul tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist, right? We don't know if Timothy had the gift of evangelism, but Paul exhorted him to do the work. And so uh, Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. So there's, a, there's a, a blessing attached to this that Jesus says is for all, but the spiritual gift of mercy right, is, is like an extra dose. It goes above and beyond what we can do in our flesh. It's mercy that isn't just obedience, it's mercy actually flowing through us from God. And there are people in this room right now who God desires to pour out this gift in your life, to use in supernatural ways to flow his mercy into the lives of others. So we have like famous examples of this, right? You think of Mother Teresa, it's probably the first person you think of when you think, like when I, at least me, when I think spiritual gift of mercy, I'm like, oh, Clearly, Mother Teresa had that gift. The only way you do what she did for the length of time she did it is a supernatural flow of God's power through you into the lives of others. I think of uh, across history, St. Saint, Saint Basil uh, in the third century is an amazing one. There's countless other people, but one uh, name that came to mind that's more recent actually was an experience with Adam that he invited some friends to go to Austin to see this thing called Community First Village. 
which is a village of tiny homes just uh, right outside of Austin, about 20 minutes from downtown. Uh, there's a man named Alan Graham. Is that right? Um, and Alan started this ministry, uh, a mobile ministry feeding the homeless and just started giving his life away to feed people and then realized they just don't have anywhere to go. And so he got this vision from God to create a place and he started uh, buying RVs and getting RVs donated and getting tiny homes, started building these and he created this village that is for homeless people. And it is one of the most amazing places you've ever been in your life. I highly encourage you. If you're in Austin to do anything else that's really cool, go to Community First too. Like make it a stop on your tour because it is an astonishing community of mercy. It's like a physical representation of God's heart for mercy. And what I love about it is that it comes through the heart of one person who got a vision and got a glimpse, I think, of God's mercy and decided to let that mercy flow through him. And I love because it's not dependent on um, any other factors. And it's not, um, he's not like kind of like soft-souled the story. Like when you go in there in the middle of this community is a statue of Jesus with his arms open. <laughs> it's like, like this whole thing exists because of the mercy that Jesus has shown all of us and we're unashamedly gonna live in that mercy. So we're there and we're learning about all that they've done. It's this incredible thing. It's the cleanest neighborhood you've ever been to. It's the friendliest neighborhood you've ever been to. It's just, it's astonishing. So they had a talent show that night. One of the nights we were there and we're like, all right, let's go to the talent show. This should be interesting at, at very least. And we're there and it's just really fun and people are singing and it was just, it was just such a sweet night. We're just sitting on this like kind of amphitheater long and then all of a sudden this, this older lady gets up and she has a song to sing and she has no teeth. And she looks at Alan Graham, who's the founder, she said, I wrote this song for you. <laughs> and you're always just like, oh, okay, deep breath. And she starts singing this song she wrote for him and she, the song was literally this, you prayed for me. You prayed for me. Oh, you prayed for me. You loved me. You prayed. For, and it was just this like, I mean, I'm just sitting there going like, don't look at me, Adam, Tyler. <laughs> it's like, everybody just be cool. Like, just don't touch me. I'm just going to be okay. And I just remember just being there just like, oh, the mercy that this lady has experienced. That's just directly from Jesus. What a beautiful picture, Right? Whenever you get like a physical representation of mercy, it's amazing how it just pierces all the other stuff that we like build our life around. When you get just a, a taste of it, and I just sat there, it's like, oh, this is, this is the kind of work that Jesus would do, right? If you were here. But I love that because God is merciful, right? And, and I think this is just key before we get into the gift and what does it look like, all that stuff. I think we have to locate the spiritual gifts in the heart of God. If they come from God, that means this is what God is like. This is really important. First Peter 1, 3. I just want you to hear some of these verses. And I, I had to like shorten it because there's so many of these. That's, that's all we do this morning. Maybe that's what I should have done. But First Peter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead according to his great mercy. Daniel 9, 9, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. Isn't that beautiful? Who does mercy belong to? It belongs to God. And it's fascinating. So that means when you show mercy, you're literally just borrowing it from God. <laughs> 
Like we don't have any mercy in our own hearts. We literally go to him and we borrow it and he is a bank that has unlimited resources of mercy. This belongs to me and you can come get as much as you want for yourself, but especially for others as well. (laughs) To him belong mercy and forgiveness. Deuteronomy 4, for the Lord your God is a merciful God. It is who he is. It's not just what he does. It is the very nature of God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant. This is who God is. In his mercy, he will never leave you. He will never destroy you. And he will not forget the covenant, the promise he's made to you. Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is who God is. When God declares who he is to Moses, Moses is like, I want to see your glory. Okay, you've got to know that part of my glory is in my mercy. <laughs> He's like, I want, you to, I want you to hear who I am when God says, this is who I am. This is really important, right? Because it's so easy for us to um, proclaim who other people are right? Who we think other people are in their nature and what their personality is. One of the great things about the Enneagram is that we all think we know everybody else. It's just so annoying. I literally, I just, oh, oh, well, you're this. I'm like, I, what? You don't know. I mean, like, it's just like so easy to, they call it typing people. It's so easy to type God, but God in his name, he said, let me tell you who I am. I'm merciful, and gracious. And this is amazing of all the things that God could have revealed about himself. He's like, what do human beings need to know about me? They need to know how merciful I am, how gracious I am, how abounding and steadfast love I am. Joel 2, rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. God is slow to anger. I just want to remind you guys of that this morning. God isn't quick to anger. He's not quick to wrath. He's not quick to condemnation. Any of that, we think that God's like us, right? Because when I lose my keys, I lose my mind. I'm like, where are they? You know, anybody else, the key thing gets you? Like, I could wreck my car, no big deal. I don't care. But just the little stuff where I'm like... I'm losing my mind and like God's like, I'm not like you. I'm not easily frustrated with you. You don't bother me. Like your quirks and your mistakes and your failures and the way you just go a whole day without talking to me. I'm not worried about it. It's okay. Like come back tomorrow. God's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. It's just like effusive. It just pours out of him. It's who he is. Psalm 145, the Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he made. Isn't that interesting? There is like a mercy dome over the world. Because <laughs> like my mercy covers the earth and it's so ready to be received. Like if you're ready to receive it, I'm ready to give it. Whenever you're ready, I'm here. It's here. Like I've, I've created a way, Titus 3, 5. He saved us, not because of work done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. 
by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. All of these things are the mercy of God. And then Lamentations 3.22, you probably want to put this on your mirror or in your car or tattoo it on your forehead. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Isn't that amazing? You cannot sin past the mercies of God. You can't rebel past the mercies of God. You cannot deny or betray past the mercies of God. His mercies never come to an end. They never stop. You can't get away from them. God is a God of mercy. It's one of his immutable attributes. He cannot be otherwise. He has to be true to himself because God has integrity. There's no changing. There's no turning. He's demonstrated his mercy over and over again in his interactions with human beings in ways that we can't even grasp. You could just list the people who received mercy from God, right? Adam and Eve, Cain, just keep going. Like, like you, you don't think of Cain with mercy, right? But Cain murdered his brother in cold blood and God made a way for him to live. Right? He's like, things are going to be different, but I'm not going to destroy you because I want you to come to know my love. Like, he's just, he makes a way for everyone. The people of Babel who try to build a tower to be like God, he disperses them, but he doesn't destroy them. Isn't that amazing? Joseph, Jacob, Abraham, Rahab, David, his mercy is all over this book. If you read the Bible, you're reading a book of mercy. <laughs> the mercy of God aimed at human beings who I think you guys would all know we need a lot of mercy. <laughs> you read about the Israelites, I'm like, ooh, I'm one of those guys. Dang it. <laughs> I'm stiff-necked. I'm stubborn. I fail. I've got like personality flaw. I've got all this stuff. I need mercy. What do I need mercy? What do I need? I need mercy, right? So um, it's interesting. So what does this look like if we, if we just want a picture of it? And I think this is so great because Colossians 2 says, says this, in Christ, the fullness of the deity dwells. The fullness of God dwells in Jesus. So if you ask the question, what is God like? All you have to do is look at Jesus. So it's amazing. He, he gave us four different books to show us in flesh and blood what he's like. What is God like? He's like Jesus. He's the perfect picture of God the Father. So one of those that I think is really instructive for today is John 8, if you want to turn there. John 8, and I'm just going to paraphrase it rather than read it, but you can read along. Jesus in John 8 uh, is teaching in the temple courts. And as he's teaching, there's this commotion, right? There's kind of shouting and there's probably a bunch of tussling going on, all this stuff. And Jesus gets interrupted. And what's happening is the Pharisees and the scribes, the teachers of the law, have dragged a woman into the temple courts who got caught in adultery. Now, how do you catch somebody in adultery? Like in the moment, I, I don't know how you do that. It's likely it was a setup, Right? They, they literally set up a guy and a woman and caught them so that they could bring her to Jesus. Now, this is a serious thing, right? In the Old Testament, it says that, that uh, one of the punishments that could be for adultery is stoning. It's, it's death. And they bring this person to Jesus who's in the temple courts where the law is most revered and basically put before him a person that the law requires death, that they would literally say it's justice right now 
to put this woman to death. Um, it's likely, we don't know, it's not in the scripture, they might have omitted this part for a lot of reasons, but Jewish custom was when someone was caught in this, they would strip her to the waist so that she would have the most amount of shame possible in the community before they stone her. Can you imagine that happening right now in this church? Someone in our community gets caught in adultery and they drag her up to this altar and they stand her up and they strip her to the waist and they're like, what are you going to do? This woman's terrified, defenseless. She's publicly humiliated. She cowers before these people. They've set a trap for Jesus, right? If Jesus says, do what the law says, stone her right now, he's actually against the law of Rome, which says you cannot execute people without our permission. If he doesn't stone her, he's, he's, he's breaking the law. He's breaking Jewish custom and law, which means he's a false teacher, which means he doesn't follow, follow God, which clearly means he's not the Messiah. They think that they have him trapped. So what does Jesus do in this moment? Remember, he's the perfect picture of God. He and the Father are one. Whatever he does in this moment is God's heart displayed. And it's fascinating. What does he do first? He does something really interesting. He just starts, he just bends down and he starts writing in the dirt. It's literally the only record we have of Jesus writing anything his entire life. And isn't it funny that he wrote it in the dirt to where it would never be seen again. It would just get walked over and dismissed. (laughs) I don't know. I just thought that was weird and interesting. I was like, man, he's never, he never writes anything. And yet this moment, he just bends down and he writes in the sand. Now there's lots of conjecture over what did he write. Some people believe he wrote down a list of sins, Right? Some believe he was fulfilling this scripture in Jeremiah 17, which says this, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Some people think Jesus was doing that so that they would know you're the ones who have forsaken the Lord. You think it's her, but it's actually you. Some believe that in fulfillment of that scripture, he first wrote down the names of the people, and then the second time he wrote down sins that he knew were present in their life. And it's fascinating because, right, it says that the older ones left first. They left, and then the other ones left. And Jesus, in the middle of that, said, let him who is without sin throw the first stone. And it's interesting because Jesus is the only person in human history who could have righteously thrown that stone. There's only one man in history who could have actually picked up a stone and in full truth and integrity and righteousness thrown it. And yet, he didn't. That's mercy. It's mercy. And that's what God is like. When God has us in full exposure of our sin, he doesn't throw the stone. And it's interesting because Jesus looks at the woman and he goes, where are your accusers? Is anyone here to condemn you? And she says, no. Where mercy supernaturally flows through human beings, our accuser gets disarmed (laughs) and dismissed. Isn't that interesting? Satan, literally, the Hebrew word hasatan, means the accuser. 
He's our accuser. He wants to destroy us. And when we allow mercy rather than judgment or condemnation to flow through our lives, Satan has no power anymore. It literally, they just disperse. That cycle of shame and self-hatred and sin doesn't get broken through accountability and plans of doing better. It gets broken by mercy. By mercy. This woman's left face to face with Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? At the end, it's just him and her, even though there's a crowd probably still, but they have this moment face to face and he speaks over her. Jesus says, is there anyone left to condemn you? And she says, no. And then he says these words, it's so beautiful, neither do I then. I don't condemn you either. Right? So God literally says, I refuse to condemn you. Jesus doesn't condemn sinners. Satan condemns sinners and he convinces you to condemn yourselves. And then he's like, now I'm really winning. And Jesus just says, that's not what I do. I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save it. (laughs) came to save it. So Jesus, in this stroke of genius, he levels the playing field. He says there's two categories. Rather than the righteous and the guilty, he said there's sinners who admit and sinners who deny. That's it. There's two categories of human beings. And this woman in this moment had no chance to defend herself. She she was like, "I I got caught. And Jesus goes, okay, I don't condemn you. What's really interesting though is in the midst of this, Jesus actually operates with mercy for the Pharisees too. Isn't that weird? He didn't just lambast them, he actually allowed them to see their error and allowed them to leave. Isn't that weird? Because if you're religious at all, if you've got that spirit in you, you're like, oh, this is good. I'm gonna nail this guy to the wall. He's such a legalist. And we're just like, yes! Yeah, I'm gonna take out all this stuff I've got about church. I'm gonna pin it on you. And in that moment, Jesus refused to even pin it on the, on the Pharisees. He, he just, with so much love and mercy, allowed them to self-identify themselves in the story and allowed them the dignity of just walking away. He didn't chase them out of the temple. He didn't insult them. They're just like, Whoa. this kind of mercy is so different. The Jesus kind of mercy. Romans 3 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. It's interesting that that word sacrifice of atonement is used another time in the book of Hebrews where it describes the worship in the temple. It says this, um, in the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness for a tent was prepared, the first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence called the most holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, Aaron's staff that budded and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory glory overshadowing the mercy seat. (laughs) There was a place in the Holy of Holies where God's mercy was displayed. That word for mercy seat is the same word for sacrifice of atonement. It's one Greek word. It literally says Jesus is the mercy seat. He's the representation now of the mercy of God. It's like there's a lid on the Ark of the Covenant. That was the mercy seat. That is Jesus. (laughs) 
He laid down on that thing and he says, now you have me. In me, you have mercy once and for all. Instead of having come back here to this most holy place over and over and over and over again, asking, 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 begging, 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 working, working, working. Freely, he's given mercy. Jesus is mercy. So that means mercy is the invitation into his kingdom. And mercy extends the invitation. What extends the invitation of the kingdom of Jesus? It's actually mercy. It's not arguments. It's not proof. It's radical, supernatural mercy. And you can't accept it if you can't admit that you need it. (laughs) Right? And it's even interesting, as I think about that story, if you place yourself in the story of this woman and Jesus and the Pharisees, how do I place myself and it's interesting, I, I most often place myself on the side of the, of the religious people because I'm like, I'm a Christian, I definitely am not Jesus. But in that story, we are all the woman. Every single one of us. That's who we are, it's who we were, it's the opportunity that we had to come face to face with the mercy of Jesus and allow him to forgive us of our sins, cover them up and cast them away. <laughs> Like, we're just like her. So if you're so busy covering up your sin and shining up your life, you might actually miss his mercy. (laughs) What a travesty. And if you miss his mercy, you'll definitely miss his kingdom on earth. I'm not saying you'll miss it forever in heaven, but you'll miss it on earth if you don't come to know his mercy for you and for others. Only those who have an appropriate sense of the immensity of God's mercy can actually give it to others. Remember Jonah and the whale? Why did he not want to go to Nineveh? You guys remember? He's like, God, I know your mercy. If I go there and preach your mercy, you will forgive them and I don't want that. We're scared to death of God's mercy because God's mercy is for our enemies. And it's for the people who have wounded us and hurt us and betrayed us and lied to us and done all this stuff. And his mercy is for all of those people. And we're like, anybody but them, Lord. (laughs) Spread it all over, but not for that one. Paul had such a sober view of himself. He said, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So God's grace actually flows from his mercy. Mercy comes first, grace comes next. His great mercy looks on us and his heart breaks for us and he moves toward us and then he pours his grace out over us. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. (laughs) But I receive mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. Like, like I get to stand up here to display God's perfect patience for human beings. He loves us in spite of all of our problems, all of our failures, all of our mistakes, all of our doubts, all of our fear, all of our struggles. So what does this look like practically in the world? Um, Sometimes it's really fun 
to see how Christians have developed these ideas over the centuries, and, and it's interesting how much you can learn um, from the historic witness of the church. And one of these that I've learned a lot from is, is the Catholic Church. Interesting, if anybody grew up Catholic in here, they have a doctrine called the works of mercy. Now, which is really beautiful. Now, I, I just want to say, I'm not saying you work for your salvation in this or God loves you more if you do this, but these are things that said would come through people who believe in the mercy of God. The spiritual works and the corporal works. The spiritual works of mercy are to quote, to instruct the ignorant, to counsel the doubtful, to admonish the sinner, to comfort the sorrowful, to bear wrongs patiently, to forgive all injuries, and to pray. <laughs> that sounds like the works of the church, right? To do these things all with a heart of mercy. Right? So the problem is if you admonish sinners without mercy, all they're going to feel is judgment and condemnation. What does admonishment feel like from a heart of mercy? It feels like, please accept God's love for you. <laughs> Not do better. <laughs> do be Stop sinning. You know, it's like liar, liar. Stop breaking the law. Right, anybody? That movie's so old now. I love that though, because I feel like that's, that's my heart in the flesh. I just want to call everybody and tell them to stop breaking the law. But God's like, that's not merciful, Jonathan. I didn't do that to you. What did I do with you? I loved you. And I said, I love you. Please come in to my love. Then you have the, the material, right? Or the corporal works of mercy, which are to feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, to clothe the naked, to ransom the captive, to harbor the harborless, to visit the sick, and to bury the dead. And it's interesting, one of the things that's really gripped me as, I, as we've talked about these spiritual gifts of the church, the body of Christ, is beginning to imagine these gifts not simply flowing through individuals, but entire churches, right? Entire groups of people beginning to have the Holy Spirit pour out in their life to see all of these gifts operating together. To see, as Romans say, people operating in the gifts of leadership and encouragement and prophecy and teaching and mercy and service. Not competing, not choosing the two we like and forming a circle and being like, well, we love teaching and mercy, so we're going to form a little group. No, no, no. We need all of it. We need leadership. Godly, Christ-like leadership. But those leaders, you know what they need? They need people in their lives who are crying out, mercy, mercy. Imagine a church where these gifts were being desired, received, cultivated, and stewarded with humility and grace, an openness to all the gifts that the Holy Spirit has to offer. That's the church. And, and think about this, if the church operated in those giftings, as well as the others, we'll study. All right, next week we'll move into Ephesians 4. After that, we'll go into 1 Corinthians 14. But Paul, that's what allows Paul to write these words in Ephesians 3. He says, his intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be, known made, uh, should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Isn't that interesting? God chose, which means you can't unchoose God's choice. <laughs> there, there's no uh, B option on this. He says, I chose that through the church, my manifold wisdom would be made known to the world. Manifold is just many, much, all. He said, I chose that all of these things that are in this book would be seen in my family and that the church would be beautiful. 
when she's being what I've called her to be. So the church can't be the manifold wisdom of God if it's not living into the fullness of who God is. And I think for too long, we've settled for far less than God's promised us in the church. We've chosen what we like, what we're comfortable with, what, what seems uh, relevant to the culture or acceptable. And we've kind of taken all the stuff that seems unacceptable or weird or I don't know about those, those people over there. And so what you have is you have these pockets of things. If you want teaching, you go to this church. If you want worship, you go to this church. If you want uh, justice, you go to this church. And you just have it spread all over and God's just saying, why are you chopping my body into pieces? I never offered you that. I offered you me, everything I have for you, for a group of people. And this also means that we need way more people in our circle, in this family, in the body. I think there's a reason there had to be 120 in the upper room. Right? Because you need a lot of people if you're going to see all of these gifts operating the fullness. You can't get it with 10. You can't shrink it down. Right? You have to have enough people to see all of these things flow. So imagine a community where mercy flowed to the least and the last and the lost. Can you imagine a place where people could come today and find mercy? And friends, our, our, it just seems like every day I feel like our culture's losing more mercy. Cancel culture, cut, cutting family off, cutting people out of your life. And it's just like, oh, life's too short to deal with that stuff. And Jesus just never said that was okay. It's like, I never gave you the out. Paul never tells the Corinthians, hey, just because all this craziest stuff is happening, you should just move to Ephesus. It's a way better church. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm coming and we're gonna work it out. We're going to love each other. We're going to display this wisdom of God, the forgiveness, mercy. But imagine a community, not where the least and the last and the lost receive mercy, but imagine a community where the wealthy and the powerful find the mercy of God and the mercy of people. Right? Because right now, it's, it's, it's pretty cool in the world to give mercy to what we feel is like the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized, and yet take the most powerful, the wealthiest people and just say, those people deserve to be maligned, and like cast out, and we're anti, all this, all this stuff. And yet you find Jesus showing mercy to the rich young ruler. You find him showing mercy to Zacchaeus. You find him showing mercy to Nicodemus. You find him showing mercy to the Roman centurion. You find him mercy even with Pilate. Jesus says, don't you know, I could have 10,000 angels here right now and nuke this place. <laughs> and he just stands there meek. And he just gives Pilate another chance, right? Isn't that amazing? His mercy flows in all directions to all people. We don't get to choose. A few things um, to close with. So one, as I'm speaking here, like maybe you have the gift of mercy, and I love this. He says, if you have the gift of mercy, then give mercy and do it cheerfully. Cheerfully, Right? And uh, one of the things I've seen a lot, we've done, and we've been doing this for almost 15 years at Skyline. We've been heavily involved in our city, heavily involved in mercy kinds of ministries and justice ministries. And, and one of the things I've really tried hard to work in my heart, and I felt this at some point, was like, well, I'm doing this ministry of mercy, and now what it does is I'm looking at all the people who aren't doing the ministry of mercy, and I'm starting to judge them and condemn them and be mad. 
And Paul just says, don't do that. Be cheerful in the mercy that's flowing through you to people and be content with that. And God's like, let me deal with everybody else's heart. You do cheerfully what I've put in you to do. Do it cheerfully. Find ways to engage in that ministry of mercy. The second one was just, it felt like the Lord just said, if you need mercy today, ask of God. <laughs> he said, mercy belongs to me. Do you need mercy for sin, for lies, for wounds, for shame? Do you need it today? He's like, I've got it. <laughs> and I've got more than you could ever require. And I've got it for the past. I've got it for the present. I've already got it for the future. He's like, <laughs> it's like I've already dealt with all this stuff. And so just come. Come and find mercy. He is merciful. And the last one is, is basically like, for those of us who feel like in their past with Christians, with the church, you found condemnation instead of mercy. And you've just got some stuff in there and it's just been like, it feels like this stuff is between me and this body or between me and God. And God, I love you, but I hate your followers. I just can't, can't deal with them. And sadly, friends, so many of us have stories where like the least merciful people in our lives have been Christians. And what an insult to God. Like, I just think, what an affront to God. The parable of the debtor, right? He's like, I forgave you all of this and then you can't go and forgive the one who owes you. So if that's you this morning, you just feel like, man, I feel like I've got just a bunch of church stuff like where it just feels like it's on my back. Jesus says, come to me and unburden yourself. So we're going to sing for a little bit, and then our prayer team will come up. And I know they would love to pray these things over. They would love to pray freedom over you. And I just want you to hear this. Jesus, when he got a chance to preach a sermon in the synagogue, here's his text. The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to provide liberty for the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort all who mourn. He's basically sent the Lord, sent me into the world with mercy. Mercy. That's it. So I'm going to pray. Would you join me? Jesus, we love you. We love your mercy and we receive it today with glad hearts. I pray that we would find joy in your mercy in this release, in this binding up. And we would know, God, that when we end up in that circle where everyone is accusing us, there is one standing in the circle advocating, defending, protecting, providing for us. And it's you, Jesus. this church be a place where your heavenly cosmic mercy flows, not just over and around and on top of, but through us. And that mercy would flow to those who are desperate and marginalized and oppressed, but flow to those who have everything but mercy, God, the rich and the powerful. They would find your mercy here, but we would also have it, Lord, in our friendships, here in our families, with our children, that our children would grow in this church knowing the mercy of God poured out through Jesus Christ on the cross. They would know that in this world, I have a place and a people where I can go. 
Holy Spirit, bring healing today, bring restoration. Pour out the gift of mercy in this place that we might display your wisdom to the world. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.